Experiencing God unreserved, we have said, is each one's agenda from now till we're dead. As we move from the fall to the bright Christmas season, we know above all, Jesus is the reason. Experiencing Christmas means something different to each. Some even say it must be shared at the beach. Here at New Life, we'll share some iconic symbols and such in hopes every life will be powerfully touched. What would Christmas be like without a gathering so real as the delicious, delectable Christmas meal? Of course, there are sounds, there are feelings and sight, but what would it be without the Christmas lights? Christmas movies galore, golly gosh, golly gee. And what's more iconic than a beautiful tree? We often get caught during the season so bright, talking about the sails and the snow oh so white. Of course, every message will help us with living and remind us only one gift always keeps giving. Good morning. Welcome to New Life. We're so glad you're here to experience the first in our series called Experiencing Christmas. If you're new or watching online for the first time, I'm Pastor Chris, uh, the lead pastor here at New Life. And Experiencing Christmas is just part of a, a year-long series. As you saw in the message bump, we're going to look at some of the iconic symbols of the Christmas season during these four weeks. Around the world, Jesus' followers are preparing for Christmas. Those who belong to some of the more traditional branches of the Christian family tree are celebrating Advent. Advent means coming. So there's actually a, a double meaning for the word Advent, for coming, because we think about the coming of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem, which already happened 2,000 years ago. That's why we celebrate Christmas. But there's also another coming. Jesus promised after he rose from the dead, after he had died on the cross to pay the penalty for human sin, after he had lived the perfect life that none of us could live, that one day he will return. And when he returns, he will proclaim himself as King of kings and Lord of lords, and we will be with him uh, as followers of Jesus forever in a new, a new time, I guess no time, it will be always one day. There, there's a song that says, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. But there is only going to be one day when Jesus comes back. It's always going to be that day. So anyway, we're looking forward to that. And right now we're celebrating Christmas. And just as we celebrate the day we were born and the years that add on, you know, every year we have a birthday party, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Now we have to admit, nobody knows when Jesus was born. Not, nobody knows what day of the year he was born. And actually, December 25th was chosen, we we're told by biblical scholars, to compete with a pagan holiday celebrating the return of the sun. You know, December is that time of year whenever the days keep getting shorter and shorter and shorter. Not my favorite time of year, but maybe it's your favorite time of year uh, when the days are getting shorter and shorter. But as we turn to 21st, people realize the days start getting longer again. So the 25th was a special holiday to remember the returning of the sun, S-U-N. But for us, it's a remembrance of the birthday of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus. So it works out that way. And really, every day can be Christmas because Jesus can be born new and fresh in our hearts every day of our lives. But we do celebrate on December 25th. As a pastor, I'm pretty sure that the holiday or the holy day that's supposed to be my favorite is Easter. You know, because Easter's the day Jesus rose from the dead, had victory over sin and death. But I have to tell you, Christmas is my favorite, hands down. I grew up in the household of Ruth Marshall, my mother. My mother loved Everything about Christmas, the gifts, she loved the trees, she loved the lights, she loved the food, lots of food. And, and you know, the more the food, the better the food, the brighter the lights, the, the, the more fresher the tree. 
you know, the more gifts under the tree, the better Christmas was. My mother had this contagious enthusiasm for Christmas, and I caught it, and it's been with me all my life. So anyway, as we think about this uh, season, as we pastors thought about this Christmas season, back when we were planning the whole year of experiencing God unreserved, we, we saw that, you know, most of the year fell into place fairly simple. We've already done experiencing growth. If you're here in the fall, you know that. Then experiencing God, we just finished up last week. And in January, we're going to talk about experiencing prayer. And then we're going to move into experiencing generosity, experiencing the Holy Spirit. But this Christmas season, you know, we puzzled and puzzled till our puzzlers were sore. That's a little, you know, refer- reference to the Grinch for those of you who might not know. Anyway... Finally, Pastor Mark said, what if we just call it Experiencing Christmas and talk about some of the iconic symbols of the Christmas season? You know, maybe like the Christmas meal, Christmas lights, Christmas trees, Christmas gifts. And we all agreed that that could be a fun way to approach the Christmas season. I mean, after all, since Easter, we've been doing some pretty heavy-duty stuff here. We went through all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. Experiencing Growth was a series that talked about, you know, where we are in the spiritual growth continuum. Then Experiencing God, a powerful series, but, you know, challenges us. And so we thought maybe it would be nice not to do a light series. You know, I don't believe in sermonettes because sermonettes produce Christianettes. And we don't want any Christianettes around here. But, you know, we're going to maybe just... Just back off just a little bit from, you know, the intensity of most of our messages during this season. And we're going to talk about some of these important things, starting today with the Christmas meal. And then next week, we're going to talk about Christmas lights. And then the following week, we're going to talk about Christmas trees. And again, how, what do these have to do with Jesus? We're going to find out. Some of them didn't have anything originally to do with Jesus, but some of them have everything to do with Jesus. And then on Christmas Eve, or, or I should say Christmas Eve weekend and up into Christmas Eve, we're going to talk about the gift that keeps on giving. And I just want to underline what Pastor Brad mentioned about the whole Christmas Eve weekend. Saturday the 21st, which is only 20 days away, if you can believe it, 20 days away, um, there's no worship here at New Life. Because on Sunday we're going to do the 8.30, so this regular time, if this is your regular time, you can come. We're going to have candlelight. The good thing about having a room with no windows is you can have candlelight services anytime you want to. So we're going to have candlelight. The bad thing about having no windows is people always ask us, why don't we have any windows? So anyway, um, the bottom line is 8.30 and 10, and then in the evening on Sunday, 5.30 and 7.30, and we're going to do that same thing on Monday the 23rd and Tuesday the 24th, actual Christmas Eve, 5.30 and 7.30 in the evening. So you have eight opportunities. They'll be exactly the same. So if you come at 8.30 on Sunday morning on the 22nd and you come back at 5.30 or 7.30 on Christmas Eve, we'd love to have you come back, but it's going to be exactly the same. Not exactly the same. I never preach a message exactly the same. But everything else will be the same. The music and everything will be the same in the candlelight. So let's turn today to the take-home point, which is going to tell us what's the most important part of today's message as we talk about the Christmas meal. For those of you who have never been here before, we have a take-home point every week, and we try to find from Scripture what it is that we want to take home and think about, pray about, and then live out in the week ahead. So here's this week's. As, as a Christmas meal draws us together, Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper to remind us his death would bring people into his eternal family. So the first part is, as the Christmas meal draws us together, so Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper to remind us his death would bring people from everywhere, from all over the planet to his eternal family. So every family has their own traditions about everything, right? About how we celebrate different aspects of life. And every family has their own Christmas traditions. And a lot of those traditions do center around a Christmas meal. For example, our neighbors across the street when I was growing up, the Terrell family, always had a meal on Christmas Eve. 
Christmas Eve, they had a big meal. They invited their neighbors and the family, and they were Italians, so they had squid and eel and all kinds of pasta. I wasn't a big fan of the squid and the eel, but I liked all kinds of pasta, and then the pasta had the, the meatballs and everything. Anyway, but what I really liked, actually, I liked the food a lot. I was a little kid, you know, and little kids like food, but what I really liked is even people who didn't know me, you know, they tousled my hair and say, hey, happy Christmas, Merry Christmas, whatever. They all were so happy. It was just a wonderful time, and in my own family, my mother was just a aficionado at making desserts. Christmas started the day after Thanksgiving, now two days after Thanksgiving in the Marshall household. My mother started making desserts for the Christmas season. My two favorites were she made homemade buns, but before she cooked them, she would push, push her thumb in the middle, make a little hole in there, and she'd put in cherry pie filling and cook them. And then when they cooled down, she'd put white icing around. I don't know if you ever had those, but man, they are really good. Anyway, the next thing was the nut rolls. And these nut rolls were able to be frozen so that you could bring them out any time during the season. And my mother would make a whole bunch, I mean hundreds of these nut rolls. And, and she would put some in our freezer, but she would actually take some to neighbor's freezers so that my brother Ken and I wouldn't eat all of them before Christmas came. Anyway, um, my mom also always had a Christmas party, which there was a meal attached to that. Our Christmas meal was, was the celebration was before Christmas, usually about a week before. And she would invite people from the neighborhood um, to come. And Gypsy wasn't a big town, but one year when Nancy and I were in seminary, um, and so we were in our late 20s, we come to the, the Christmas um, meal. We got to come home a little early for Christmas that year. And I looked around, and I didn't know most of the people in my own house. My mo- well, my mom and dad's house. It wasn't my house anymore. But I looked around, and most of them were younger than me, which I thought was sort of odd because my mom and dad are a lot older than most of my friends' parents because there's a 14-year gap between my older brother and me. So there, it just didn't make sense to me. And I, I went to my mom and said, Mom, all these people doing in our house, and why are they younger than me, and why don't I know any of them? And she said, well, you know, that one over there, I'm teaching her how to hang wallpaper, and that one there, she doesn't know how to cook, and I'm trying to teach her how to cook, and, you know, we get together, and we talk about life and how important it is. Basically, she was mentoring the the women in the group, and so she had all these folks around, and it was a great party and a great meal, but that's the kind of woman my mother was. She was always thinking about other people and helping them out. So when Nancy and I got married, we enjoyed, you know, my family's traditions and her family's traditions, but eventually we came upon our own tradition. We have a very special meal on Christmas Day, and the, the menu is, you know, a, a, it's an item of important discussion in our family because it has to be just right. Now, as I've been talking about this Christmas meal with the, the Terrells and, you know, my mother and, and Nancy, maybe you've been thinking about when you were growing up. What kind of traditions you had that centered around a Christmas meal? Or maybe you're already thinking about the Christmas meal that you're going to celebrate at your grandparents' house or at your aunt or uncle's, or maybe you're the one that hosts the Christmas meal in your family. So as our take-home point reminds us, Christmas meals draw us together, but with just one addition, the Christmas meal can become even more important, and here it is. Our Christmas meals can remind us of Jesus' Last Supper and how his death can bring the whole world to himself. So right now, what we're going to do is we're going to turn to two defining moments in, in the life of the Christian church. One is recorded in the book of Luke, uh, and the other is recorded in the second book that Luke wrote, the book of Acts. And we're going to look at the Last Supper from the book of Luke, and then we're going to look at how the early church lived out their faith in Jesus after Jesus returned to heaven and sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. So before we turn to Luke chapter 22, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this season of year. Thank you that during this season we get to remember the amazing reality that Jesus, God, 
became flesh. He emptied himself as the scripture teaches us and became one of us. As a baby in Bethlehem, he, he grew and was nurtured and eventually became a man who taught the truth that you sent him to teach and, and who eventually, as a perfect human being and as fully God, died on the cross so we can have life now and forever. And God, this morning, what we pray is simply this, that as we think about what he did, that we would not just think about it this morning, but that we would think about it throughout this Christmas season and that we would be overjoyed by his sacrifice so we can have life in its abundance now and forever. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to Luke chapter 22. We're gonna start in verse 14. And uh, you can also see it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible with you this morning. So in Luke chapter 22, uh, 14 to 20, there's two basic sections. We're going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to talk about the first section, and then we're going to look at verses 19 and 20 separately. So it says this, when the time came, that is the time for the Passover, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. So at the Passover meal, which Jews everywhere celebrated to remember God's amazing deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt... There were four cups of wine that were served. Each of them celebrate an aspect of God's power, God's salvation, God's deliverance. And so this is the first cup Jesus is referring to. And he said, I've been eager to eat this meal with you before I suffer. And, and the truth is, Jesus was sitting around a table knowing that the next day he was going to be crucified. Nobody else around the table knew it, but Jesus did. And Jesus said he was eager to eat this meal together. This was his, this was his closest group of friends, the 12 disciples. And, and we know that one of them actually left the table from that meal and went to betray Jesus to the religious leaders. And we know that one of them later on would deny ever knowing Jesus three times. And we know that the rest of them deserted Jesus to save their own lives. But Jesus, in that moment, wanted to celebrate with them because they were the ones who meant the most to him, just as we want to celebrate a Christmas meal with those who mean the most to us. And, and so as we, as we look at the, at the passage, what we see is that Jesus' celebration of the Lord's Supper foreshadowed the great celebration that we will experience with him and every believer in heaven one day. The reason Jesus was so excited because we can't even imagine, I can't imagine, the emotions that were, were going through his mind and his heart as he was thinking about dying the next day. But what we find in the, in the book of Hebrews is Jesus um, died, and, and this is what it says, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, the night he was sitting around that table, endured the cross the next day, despising the shame. He knew what people were going to say and what people were going to do, and yet the joy that set before him was heaven. And the meal that he ate was foreshadowing that moment when one day all of us who believe in him of all times and places will gather together for a great and amazing banquet and feast. And what we're going to do right now is we're going to have a very small meal that's going to symbolize and re represent that day when we get together. So the next verse is verse 19, and I'm going to ask you all to read it with me. Uh, it'll be up on the screen here. So would you please read this aloud with me? He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this to remember me. So he took the bread and broke it and said, this is my body. And he said, do this. It said it's given for you. Do this to remember me. And then let's read together the next part of that. It's verse 20. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. So the Apostle Paul would later write, as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Obviously, not just his death, but his resurrection and his return to heaven until he comes again in that final moment of glory whenever we all get to have that great feast with him together. So if you're a follower of Jesus and you're here this morning, we invite you to participate in this meal. Simple meal, a piece of bread and a a little cup of juice. But it is, as Jesus said, his body and blood given and shed for us. If you're not a follower of Jesus, if Jesus is not Lord and Savior in your life at this moment, then it really wouldn't make sense for you to partake. So you can just pass the the tray along to the next person when it comes. But I would encourage you. In fact, I I would beg you. If Jesus Christ isn't Savior and Lord in your life right now, why not make him Savior and Lord right now? What that means, Savior means that he died to save us from our sins and from death, eternal death, separated from him. And he, he becomes Lord, which Lord means owner, master. He gets to tell us how to live our lives, which is actually a good thing because we don't do a great job of it. And even when we do the best job we can do, it's not going to be as good as it is when the one who designed us is the one leading our lives. So you can right now, as you're sitting there, you can simply say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I know that I don't deserve it, but I want the new life that you have died and risen again to give. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. And if you do that in this moment, then when the cup comes and bread comes, you can partake. So it will be in two cups. They're going to look like this, and they're going to be together, and the bread's on the bottom and the juice is on the top. And I'm going to ask the servers to come forward as we prepare our hearts to share in the body and blood of Jesus. So pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and love. We thank you so much. For sending Jesus. God, it's easy to think of Jesus as a baby during the Christmas season, but we know that he became a man, a perfect man. And he, he, he lived the life we couldn't live, and then he died for us. And today, as we celebrate by eating the bread and drinking the cup, we pray that you would take these common elements and that you would use them to nourish us in our bodies, our souls, and our spirits, that we can love you more deeply and serve you more faithfully. God, we ask today that you will bring unity to us in a new and powerful way as we participate together. We ask this in Jesus' name, who taught us when we pray together to say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, would the servers please serve? And please hold on to those, uh, and we'll we'll celebrate together.
Friends, this is the body of Jesus given for us. Let us do this in remembrance of him. Friends, this is the cup of salvation poured out for the sins of us all. Let us do this in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this moment when as a family we gather together to celebrate this meal which you have prepared for us. And as we have partaken together, we pray again that you would deepen our love for you, deepen our commitment to serve you faithfully. And God, continue to let us focus on Jesus during this entire season that you may be glorified and that your kingdom may grow. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Our second reading today comes from the book of Acts, which is the second of, the, of Luke's writings, and it's often called the Acts of the Apostles. It could easily be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is the one who's guiding and leading in every step of the way what the apostles do. So what we're going to do is look at a brief record of what life was like in the early church. So would you follow along with me as we read Acts 2, 42 to 47? All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So did you notice the activity that's underlined there in the passage and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper? The first believers devoted themselves. And they devoted themselves, which means they experienced God unreserved all in. And what were the things that they devoted themselves to do? Well, there are four specific realities that they lived out in their life together. And the first one is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which is simply to learning and living the Word of God. Secondly, they devoted themselves to fellowship, which is living in truth and love with one another. And then they devoted themselves to sharing in meals, which included the Lord's Supper, and they devoted themselves to prayer. So the meals they shared included the Lord's Supper. What would happen in the early church is after work, people would come back home, either to their homes or somebody else's home, and they would share their evening meal together. And during the evening meal, they would celebrate the Lord's Supper. This could be a daily practice. It could be a practice that happened once a week, but we think it was probably a daily practice. And in the midst of that kind of living where they shared together, their meals, and actually we're told that they sold stuff so that they could help each other so that nobody had need. In the midst of worshiping in the temple, which they were still allowed to do for a while in the, in the early church before the Jews forbade them to come and worship in the temple, and then they also worshiped in their homes. So they had small groups and large groups. And in the midst of that, it said that the apostles performed signs and, wonder, signs and wonders. And what else happened was they had the goodwill of all the people, which is incredible if you think about it. The Jews already hated them. And the Romans were starting to hate them, and yet they had the goodwill of all the, all the people. How, how could that be possible? 
It's because they had such love that came from Jesus and such power that came from the Holy Spirit that, that their neighbors experienced, that we might call it collateral blessing in their lives. And so they lived that kind of life. And in the midst of that kind of life, what happened, it says, is the Lord added daily the number of those being saved. And that's always been my prayer, that New Life would be that kind of church. In fact, the very first message I ever preached at New Life, 18 plus years ago, coming up on 19, was called A Vision of the Church, and it was from Acts 2, 42 to 47. My prayer was that we would be that church, where we would be devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread, including the Lord's Supper, and prayer, that we would be the kind of church that shares with each other in times of need and which has the goodwill of all the people because of what we're doing, not only for each other, but for the people of the community around us. And in that environment, that the Lord would add daily to the number of those being saved. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, at least one person on each of those days every week is getting saved. And so as we, as we think about that, as we think about living out that kind of life, I want you to think about one more thing. We call this the New Life family. So many times, you, you'll never hear me say the congregation, and I actually found a really good reason for that this morning. I didn't even know this. But we've nothing wrong with the word congregation except for this. You know how animals are in groupings, like a, you have a herd of you know, cows, you have a flock of geese. Guess what a congregation of is? A congregation of alligators. Now, there's some deep spiritual meaning behind that if you think about it for a little bit. Okay, so we, we are a church family, and our family is going to last forever. We're a spiritual family, an eternal family, and Jesus came to give us that opportunity to live now and forever. And this is what I want us to do. It's the next step for this coming week and actually this whole Christmas season. It's a way to move us through the Christmas season in such a powerful way. And here it is. I will remember Jesus' sacrificial death for me every time I eat a meal this Christmas season. I will remember Jesus' sacrificial death for me every time I eat a meal this Christmas season. I'm going to tell you something that's a little more challenging than it might appear by looking at it. Because the reason I know that is because I ate breakfast this morning and I forgot until after I ate to thank Jesus for his sacrificial death for me because it's not something that I do on a regular basis. And you might think, wait, wait a minute, Jesus, Jesus, you know, Christmas is about Jesus' birth. Yes, but Jesus' birth led day by day, year by year, to the reason why Jesus came. And the reason he came is to die and rise again so we can experience God unreserved in our lives. Each one of us has the opportunity to experience that, and I think in a, in a powerful way. I did it last night. I remember when I went home last night, I sat down, and I, I always give thanks to God for the food. You probably do that as well. And, and maybe as you eat a meal, you think about God provided this for me because God provides everything for us for our enjoyment. It actually says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, but as I also thought about it, I prayed, thank you, Jesus, for your death so that I can have life now and forever. We don't just get to live this life with him, but we get to live forever with him. And so as we go about this Christmas season, I would encourage you, breakfast, lunch, dinner, in between meal snacks, I try to figure out how many times a day I eat. <laughs> it might be seven or eight. But anyway, every time you put a piece of food in your mouth, think about um, Jesus. Thank him for providing the food, and then thank him for providing eternal life. And an eternal family. And, and that's one more thing I just want to leave us with as we close this morning is this. The people you're sitting with who know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, they're not just with you for this life. They're with you forever. So that's why it's important for us to like each other as well as love each other here and now and forever. Amen?
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we are your family, that you are Heavenly Father, and that you are perfect in every way. And that, God, whether we're going through this season with joy and celebration because just the season it is, or whether this is a really hard Christmas season because we've lost a loved one we really care about, or maybe just life isn't going the way we want it to. God, my prayer is that every time we pause to have a meal, whether it's on our own or with our family or, or with a large group, that we would also thank you for sending Jesus to die and rise again so we can have life with you now and forever. God, I do pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us and would encourage us and would give us joy, um, lasting joy in this season and, and all throughout the year. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.